0: as we get ready for our fall series that will start kind of the the first of september around in that area um so sometimes god will give you a sermon that really doesn't fit in a series like god will he will give you a word and man you you start mapping that out and it's good and but it just really like you you try to form fit it sometimes it doesn't work well so so i'm very excited the next three weeks i am preaching non-series sermons and i am (laughs) pretty fired up about it actually Uh, but we've been thinking about being made for more the fact that that jesus said remember in 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 john 10 10 jesus tells the people he, he says the thief comes to do what steal kill and destroy so we know that we have an enemy who he he has a job and his job is to steal kill and destroy like nobody wants that as a friend right But Jesus says, on the part B of that passage, he says, But I have come that you may have life. I've come that you may have, say it with me, life. life. Say it like you have it. I have come that you may have life. life." And yet what we see is so many believers who have been blood-bought by Christ, so many believers that have confessed Christ with their mouth are not living it out with their lives. So Jesus has come and he has said, I've come to set you free. Free from what? Remember our adversary, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What the adversary would would hope is that you're so defeated, you're so bogged down in sin, you're so enchained by your sickness that is sin that you cannot see the love of Christ, that you cannot perceive the love of Christ, and that you can't understand and receive the love of Christ. And so Jesus is saying, I've set you free. Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient for your freedom, and it's eternal freedom. He says, I've come to set you free, not for today, not for tomorrow, but from now on. I've come to set you free that you no longer live with the bondage of sin, that you no longer live entangled and ensnared, but I've come that you may have life. He said, I've come that you may have life to the fullest, that you live with the guarantee of the resurrection you live in the guarantee of the return and eventually the second ascension that you live with the hope that christ is who he said he is that he did what he said he was going to do and that he's going to do what he's promised so we live with hope that there's more to life than church attendance we live with the hope that there's more to life than showing up on sunday with your best dressed clothes on or showing up to to eat some meal after this thing. And, but so many of us are captivated and trapped and just getting by. We're just muddling through this thing, and that was never, that was never the call for God that he had on us. As we think about where we've come from, we started talking about the fact that we were made for more. That you were designed. You, you, and your personality are so unique that God hadn't created anyone else like you. Your DNA strain is unique to you and you only. And God created you for a purpose. And that that we're not just here. We're, we're not the purpose. We're not the subject line of the Bible. We talked about that God created us for His glory, not for our glory. God's never been about us being hyper successful. So if you're a if you're a wealth and prosperity gospel follower, which is not a gospel at all, it's heresy, but if that's kind of how you align your life, that God wants you happy, healthy, and wealthy, then you're really going to struggle with the Bible. You're really going to struggle with the Bible because it never says that God's about your happiness, your wealth, or your health. He's always been about His glory. He's always been about his glory, and he hasn't changed his mind. So we realize that we're made for more because we're made to give glory to the Lord. We're created that our lives would glorify God. We talked about how we're all gifted different. Some of you have gifts that I don't have. Like, there's a reason I get this mic instead of the handheld, right? Because you don't really want me to start singing, all right? You just, I know the Bible says make a joyful noise, but you would ask that I make that noise quietly. All right. That's just how we would operate. So, so you don't want that of me. I'm not gifted in certain ways. I've got some friends here from Louisiana on the fourth row. Um, they are some sweet dear friends of mine. Some of my students back when I was a a student pastor, um, this is Mr. Dane. Mr. Dane would tell you, me and him sat in some serious meetings. He was the money man. And as a youth pastor, it was my job, and Brad will testify to this, as a youth pastor, it's your job to spend as much money as, as possible. That's just what you do. Like, and I did, like, we, we spent a bunch of it, like, Pastor, that that role shifts, and it's awkward to kind of put yourself in that role, but you have to. And and so, like, so these folks are great and they're gifted. Dane can look at budgets and money and he can make it all make sense. I'm just like, give me the credit card. Like, that's my, that's how I was operating for a long time when it came to budget. He's gifted that way. God has given him the mind where he can do that. And, And some of you are gifted that way. Some of you are gifted where, where, man, you don't want any applause, you don't want any recognition, you just want to serve behind the scenes, and like, when you do that, you're in your zone, and you know you're where God's called you, and you're just awesome. Some of you are are phenomenal teachers, and when you open up the Word, God has given you the the intellect and the insight to see things that you, that most people wouldn't see, and you're able to kind of breathe that out into your people. Some of you are great hostess, and you're, man, you just love on people as you can, and and that's just kind of how God's gifted you, and, and some of you, man, you're just goers and your tellers and but there's one thing that that God has called us all to do and it's not a gift set there's one thing that God's called us all to do that there's no set of gifts that void you from this there's one thing that God's called us to do that there's no way out of open your Bible to Matthew 28 In Matthew 28, Matthew 28 is a great chapter. If you don't read the Bible a whole lot, just read Matthew 28. There's a lot of promise and hope in this chapter. So a lot happens in Matthew 28. Jesus wakes up from the dead in Matthew 28. Like if that was all that was in Matthew 28, it's one of the best chapters in all of the Bible. Jesus gets up from the dead. He wasn't asleep, wasn't passed out. He was dead. He wakes up from the dead. Now, the report gets out Christ is alive because the ladies went to go see him and his body wasn't there. And so the Roman government tries to hide it in Matthew 28. and They pay the guards to tell him that the d- disciples came and stole his body. And, and all of this happens. And they would have got away with that except for the fact that over 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus. And like when you see a man that was once dead but now he's alive, you're probably telling somebody. like You probably don't see that and go, huh, that was neat. And go on. It it changes you because you're not ready for it. But then we get to verse 16. So the first 15 verses are packed. Jesus is alive. The message of the gospel is unstoppable. The message will go forth. And this is what he gets to in verse 16. He says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Father, we pray over your word that you would use it today to magnify yourself. God, that you would use it today to make yourself known and not me. Father, I pray that my words would be straight from you, that my mind would be straight from glory, that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct every ounce of my speech and every ounce of my body. God, that you would have complete freedom in this place to do that which only you can do to save souls. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. A few reminders about being made for more is all about remember that we're not trying to self-help ourselves we're not trying to self-help ourselves when we think about being made for more there's a billion dollar industry in the book selling business where you 10 steps to a better you five steps to a healthier life seven steps to being more fit that's not what the bible's ever been about the bible's not here so that you become a better help self or better self helper it's also not here that we compete with one another that's never been what the bible was about that we would have competition and we would try to strive and and try to try outdo someone because the gospel is not works-based we must remember that as we're made for more we are com- a community of believers passionately advancing the gospel so you're made for more part of being made for more is understanding that god's call for you is a disciple maker God's call for you as a disciple maker. No matter where you are at in your gift survey, no matter where you're at in how God has equipped you, no matter if you're six or 106, you're not outside of the job of disciple making. You're not outside of, of being someone, telling someone about Christ. It's, it's the call for every believer. We've said this now for over a year. The gospel came to you on its way to someone else. If you don't take it, they won't hear. You know people that I will never know. You know people that I'll never know. And so you must be be about the commandment. And the commandment's clear. Jesus said all authority on heaven and earth. All authority on heaven and earth. He didn't say all the authority in Alabama has been given to you. Roll tide, go make disciples. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. Because that's not a lot of authority. He didn't say I don't care where you line politically. He didn't say, the Trump has given you authority. Go make disciples. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. He's not operating on an earthly authority. He's going above and he's going bigger. He says, all authority on heaven, where God Almighty is, where King Jehovah is, where God himself is, where Elohim is, where that God is, all authority where he is and on this earth has been given to you. And if God has given you the authority, the commandment is clear. If God has given you the authority, that means nothing can prevail against you. No court, no law, nothing can stop you from advancing the gospel except you. Except you. You stop it with closed lips. You stop it with closed lips. The commandment is clear. Disciple-making is about sharing life in Christ. Discipleship is about sharing life in Christ. Now, if you were raised in a Southern Baptist church culture, what you remember, and some of you have to remember back, our teenagers won't have a clue what I'm talking about, is that we used to have this thing in Southern Baptist life called, like, discipleship union. Anybody remember that? Three of us. Perfect. Perfect. You used to do this thing normally around five o'clock on Sunday afternoons to discipleship or training union or something along those lines. And and what we saw, we we thought that man, if we could package discipleship in a class that people would, would grasp it. But discipleship's never been about coming to church. Discipleship is about sharing the life that Christ has given you with other people. It's about sharing the life in Christ. So when you get together, you're not just talking about the football game. You're not just talking about that, that big deer that you bagged. You're not talking about that shopping deal that you got or that piece of cheesecake that blew your mind. You're purposefully gathering to talk about God Almighty for the purpose of advancement in the kingdom See, where those classes, where they let us down? We, we can look at this now and we can look at the data that, that spans generations now. What we did in discipleship training or training unions was we inflated Christians and we had a lot of obese believers, but we never created an outlet for them to go do what they trained to do. We gave no intentionality to replication. We gave no intentionality to replication, meaning we taught you what it meant to follow Christ. We taught you about following Jesus in, in your everyday life, but we never exposed you to lost people to where you could show that in real life. And yet disciple making is about sharing life in Christ, but it's also about multiplying the life of Christ. It's about multiplying the life of Christ, meaning you walk out with the intentionality that I'm going to lead someone to Christ. I'm going to lead someone to Christ because I'm going to share my story. You may not have the Bible memorized. You may not have, have all the Psalms down to memory. You may not know the Romans road, although I would challenge you. That's pretty easy. You should probably grab that one. Um, you may not know all of these things, my friend, but you have a story that no one can deny. You have a story that no one can deny. and your story, hey, I was living life, and, and, and the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of me, and I, God showed me I was a sinner, showed me that I was apart from him, and, and he showed me the way that if I would trust in his son for my salvation, if I would lay down my life at the cross and pick up Christ, that I would be his child forever. I would be engrafted into his family, adopted by grace, and I'm his forevermore. You have a story of God's redemptive work in your life that people need to hear. That people need to hear. We're telling people a lot. Well, this new iPhone, if it's going to come out, if it's going to drop in a couple of days, everybody's getting excited. It's going to be the most expensive iPhone ever. Most expensive iPhone ever. There will be lines wrapped around buildings to get it. People will sleep outside to get a cell phone. They'll sleep outside to get a cell phone. Then they get it and all all the internet will be buzzing. You'll know when it drops. There won't be a question. You'll know when it happens. And that'll be the buzz. We're a couple of weeks from kickoff. That'll be the buzz. That'll be what you're taught. We're always talking. The problem is we've lost the purpose of multiplication in the life of Christ. If you compartmentalize church and Christianity into one hour on Sunday. Listen to me. I'm I'm dead serious. If you compartmentalize church and Christianity into one hour on Sunday, not only are we going to lose the church, we're going to lose generations of believers. The problem with the American church is that we live like Jesus from 1030 to 12, and we really don't give a care about how we live Monday through Saturday. We've lost purposeful intentionality for the sake of multiplication in the kingdom And where that comes from is we've lost the kingdom mindset. We've lost the kingdom mindset. We've been so ingrained in the world. We've been so engrafted in the world. We look like the world. We shop at the same places the world shops. We listen to the same music. We go to the same concerts. We eat at the same establishments. Some of you, you drink the same drinks and you smoke the same things. And then we wonder why there's no separation in the world. Because we live like them. We live like them. And the call of the Bible is holiness. Holiness at its root is separation. Separation. That you would be separated from the world. That your life wouldn't look like the world. That you'd be called out. You'd realize you've been saved and that salvation is bigger than a church attendance. It's bigger than a church service or a church name. But you're now representing God Almighty. And when you have that kingdom mindset... You will have built in this ability to multiply the life of Christ and other people. You have people in your inner circle. You have people in your inner circle that need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the God. I'm talking about people in your family, maybe people under your roof that you need to be intentional about sharing life with Christ, with them, that they can come to know salvation. I'm not talking about they can have a religious experience. I'm not talking about they can come join a church. I'm talking about that they meet Jesus the one who can save them. That they meet Jesus, the one who's good for their sin problem. That they meet Jesus who can raise the dead to life. That they meet Jesus, the one who can make the blind see. That they meet Jesus, the one that can heal the lame. That they meet Jesus, the one that can set all wrongs right. That's who we need to introduce them to. Jesus. Jesus. For the sake of multiplying. That sake of multiplying means we're intentionally, 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 not on accident, intentionally having conversations that will lead people to salvation. Intentionally. I rarely. I have to say rarely now because it happened the other day for the first time. And I've been in ministry now over 10 years. happened for the first time less than two months ago. I accidentally got into a gospel center conversation. Wasn't trying to he, he threw it on me. It, 99% of the time, .9 happens with you engaging the conversation. With you engaging. Don't just sit around, listen, if you're praying this, stop. It ain't, it ain't working. If you're praying, God, let somebody come up to me and ask me about Jesus, they may. It's happened once. In 10 years, once. You need to start praying, God, show me somebody I can go have a conversation with about you. God, show me somebody. Give me a name, Father. Put me in a place. Put me in a gas pump beside somebody who doesn't know you. Put me in a cash register in front of somebody that's just checking me out and don't know that I'm fixing to share the greatest news of all time with them. Put me in a doctor's office where my doctor's a pagan and they don't know Christ because I want to share them the great news of Christ. Now, you may get bold and he's say, like, God, put me in a, a speed check where I get to talk to a police officer about Jesus. Now, if you won't step there, that's on you. That's on you. God, put me in a restaurant where the waiter doesn't know you. God, I, I pray for the people at my office that they would come to faith. God, how are you praying? Are you praying that God would use you for the multiplication of his kingdom? Our problem in the church is that we've compromised the commandment. Our problem in the church is that we've compromised the commandment because Christ told us to go make disciples. This bold declaration, and the disciples got it. Remember Peter? Peter preached for the first time. Thousands of people came to faith. Thousands. When we do things God's way, God's going to bless it. Amen? When you do things your way, you may not get God's blessing. We have compromised what God said. God said, go make disciples. And you know what we did? We started a church. God said, go make disciples, and we created Sunday School. God said, go make disciples, and we said, hey, we'll have discipleship classes. God said, go make disciples, and we said, hey, we're going to develop programming. We're going to do VBSs, and we're going we're to do all these things because this is, this is going to help us. And God said, go make disciples, and we said, we're going to build buildings. We're going to build them big. We're going to build them big. We're going to make them great. And they're going to be up in the air. And we're going to pay a lot of money for them. God never said build buildings. He said go make disciples. We we said, okay, so so he called us to go make disciples. So what are we going to do? Let's make colleges. And let's let's make seminaries so that, that people can go and get a theological education. But he's never called us to that. He's called us to go make disciples disciples. So we formed the Southern Baptist Convention. We thought, man, if we could just get together and then maybe maybe the byproduct of this would be that we would start making disciples. And yet in Matthew 28, he said, go make disciples. And we hold conferences and we hold rallies and we have revivals. And we do all of these things trying to somehow skirt around what God said, but we've lost the intentionality of actually making disciples. We've tried to band-aid, and we've tried to do everything but have the hard conversations. We have thought, man, if we, could, if we could just get folks to Sunday school, they'd just get saved vicariously. Well, the problem is, I don't know what your Sunday school looked like this morning. Probably wasn't a truckload of lost people walking through the doors. The problem with our discipleship class is that, is that we never really made disciples. Don't confuse Discipleship with education. Don't confuse discipleship with education. Should we be informed about the scriptures? Certainly. Certainly. We should know. We should long to know more of the Bible. But when we, when we build our foundation there, without the intentionality of sharing our faith, we've lost everything. Because we've compromised on the one thing he called us to do. Are those things great? Yeah. Can we use those things in the king, for the kingdom? Yeah. Man, man, Our convention's great. We do great things at Southern Baptist. Seminaries are wonderful. They help train pastors and and leaders to go forth with the gospel. Do we need buildings? Yeah. Do we need programming? Certainly. But if we don't make disciples and we do those things thinking we're okay, we're fools. We're fools. Jesus said, make disciples. We have two options. When we think about what he said, when we think about what it means to go and make disciples. We have self-directed strategies that hope for God's blessing. So said we said we know we need to make disciples and we're just going to get out there and we're going to try our hardest to kind of get around it and do all these programs, do all these things and invite people to Palmer Fest and hope that somehow they become a follower of Christ. Or we can do Christ-directed strategy that's guaranteed for God's blessing. We can do it our way and hope God's blessing. Oh, we can do it the way Christ called us to. And what's that word it says? That we're what? We're guaranteed God's blessing. We're guaranteed God's blessing. There's not many things in life that's a guarantee anymore, right? You buy a car, you've got a five-minute, five-mile warranty on it. Whichever happens first. You buy things, man, they just break. Everything now is disposable. Everything we buy, cars, stuff. Even houses now are coming disposable. What we get from the gospel, what we get from the Great Commission, when, he, when Jesus told us all authority on heaven and earth has been given to you, he says, go make disciples. If Everybody that looks just like you and talks just like you. Is that what he said? Check one. Am I on? Okay. Is that what he said? Did he say go, go make disciples of people that look like you? Did he say, go make disciples of the people that make the same money you make? Did he say, go make disciples of people that you agree with politically? No. Did he say, go make disciples of people that you agree with on the religious sector? No. What did he say? He said, go make disciples of all nations. He says, baptizing them, teaching them all that I've commanded you. And then there's this part that we can just kind of read over really fast. He says, in the King James, it says, lo, I am with you. Always, even to the ends of the ages. I am with you always. When we do it Christ's way, we have his blessing. He says, when you step out for me, I'm going to be with you always. I used to get really fretted about this. I used to get really nervous about this. And I used to do a lot of door-to-door evangelism. And, and I would go and I would, I would knock on doors. And my prayer life was so good because I was praying that nobody was home. And I wouldn't have to have, I could just put my card in the door and I was done. But that's not leading people to the Lord. But what I was afraid of is that if I got involved in a conversation and they told me no, that it crushed me. But what I had to realize and what I had to come and had some great men pour into me, they're not saying no to me. They're not saying no to me. I, I can't save them even if they said yes. If they said yes, just save me. Brother, I can't help you. But I can tell you about the one who can. And when I realized that, that remember they killed Jesus. Remember they put our Messiah on a cross Not everybody you knock on the door, not everybody's going to receive you friendly. Not everybody's going to be so thankful that you just interrupted the football game. Not everybody's going to be so happy that you just interrupted their dinner. But they're not saying no to me. They're saying no to God Almighty. They're not saying yes to me. They're saying yes to God Almighty. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the messenger. Jesus tells us that the field is white with harvest. Oh, it's primed, it's ready. God's done all the watering. God's done all the preparing for the harvest. But he says the laborers are few. So how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus do it? How did Jesus make disciples and how can we glean from him? He took 12 men. Jesus took 12 men that God gave him. He praised God 40 times in the New Testament for the men that God placed in his life. All 12 of them were called, giving to him by the Lord. He worked on revolutionizing their hearts. He worked on revolutionizing their hearts. He invested in them. Jesus invested into the people that God placed there. So if you're sitting here today and you're like, Jeff, this is all great. It's all good. I'm ready. I'm going to go out there. I've been made for more. I've been made. I'm more than a conqueror because Jesus has strengthened me. I hear you. I'm going to do it. Pick somebody. I'm not telling you to call 12. I don't think 12 is a good number for us. I think Jesus managed 12. But if you want to get really ticky, Jesus had three. He had 12, but he had three that he invested in the most. Three people is a great number. Find three people that need to hear about Jesus, and you start investing in them. You work on their hearts, and you realize it's going to be a sticky business. You realize it's going to be a difficult business, but it doesn't negate the call. It doesn't negate the call. You invest in them. and By the way, when he did this, when he picked the man that God had for him, he revolutionized their hearts. He invested them. As he was going through that, he flipped the world upside down. He flipped the world upside down in the process. So much so that two thousand years later, we're still talking about what he did. Little little guy from Galilee changed the world because he was God. We invest. We remember that di- discipleship is not mass-produced. I get a lot. Well, Jeff, we come to church. How come we're not discipled? If you think you can sit in this room and hear me talk for thirty minutes and you're a disciple, you're sadly mistaken. Jesus never discipled people from a pulpit or a temple. He discipled people sitting in circles. He discipled people one-on-one where he could have time to show them the word. This is why we think Sunday school is a big deal. This is why we think our small groups are a big deal, part of our mission statement. When you understand that we want our folks to know God, we want them to find community, we want them to make disciples. There's a reason that we put that in our mission statement. We want people to make disciples Disciples who can make disciples. It wasn't mass broadcast. It wasn't an eight-week process. Jesus spent most of his ministry with a handful of men. Discipleship is not mass produced. Today, you may need to be discipled. You you may be sitting there today and you go, Jim, I've never experienced that. I couldn't begin to disciple anyone because I've never been discipled. Maybe you need to go to someone who you know is a follower of Christ and say, Hey, What he just talked about. What he just talked about. I need you to do that for me. Because the implication is great. If we don't teach the next generation about being discipled. How would they know? How would they know? Let's pray. Father I pray over our time together this morning. That you have been glorified. Lord I pray that as we think about what it means to follow you, we think about what it means to be consecrated to you and none of that, but to then have action built into us that we are now serving and we're making disciples. God, thank you for the call that everybody who hears the gospel is now responsible for making disciples. Everybody who responds in salvation is responsible for telling someone else about you. Thank you that that call is universal. Thank you that that call is for every believer that has ever walked, that their job now is to make disciples. God, may we not let the gospel end with us, but may we promote it and catalyst it into the next generation. Father, I pray over our people. If there's one in here today who says, God, God, I can't make disciples for you because I don't know you. God, I pray you would give them the boldness to come down. If there's someone here today who realized that maybe for the first time that, that their silent lips are sinful because you've called them to proclaim, God, may they have the boldness to repent. God, if they need to come to an altar and do some time with you, God, maybe you're calling them. Right now, you're giving them names on their heart of people they need to go have conversations with about you, God, that you would continue to stir up in them those affections. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for guiding us today. Thank you for your word. It's in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us this morning?